The following podcast is sponsored by the members of Body Storytelling's Patreon. Did you know that there wouldn't even be a body podcast if not for the people who support us on Patreon? Become a member of our Patreon now and you can ensure that each week you'll get new stories, inspiration, and more. It's really easy to sign up. Just go to patreon.com slash body right now. And thanks in advance for being part of our weird little family. The following podcast contains true stories of sex, kink, gender, or body image. Thanks for being a consenting adult, because here we go. All of my life, I've never fit, but I won't complain and I won't quit. I am enormous, get used to it. Everyone tells me I'm too much. Maybe it's just you're not enough for me Can't you see? I'm the kind of woman I'm supposed to be Hi there, and welcome to the Body Storytelling Podcast. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delatour, and this week we have a story from podcaster and uber kinkster Dick Wound. Well, if you're not looking to be bummed out, please don't listen to the ramble this week, because this one's really hard. I had my last live show on Friday, and I was really burnt out. I was really exhausted. And I was so looking forward to, I had big plans for the next couple of months. My, my next live show is going to be on Folsom Street Fair, late September, almost October. So I had these plans where I was going to get my shit together. I was going to, you know, I'd signed up for some courses. I was going to learn how to create an online course. I was going to learn how to hire an assistant. I was going to learn how to do all these things that I felt like were holding me back. It was going to be busy even though it was a hiatus. And I slept late the day after the show and then went, okay, you have a job to do. Your job is to take care of your dog. So I knew that his favorite thing to do was to go swimming. So I took Quake to Point Isabel, which is in the East Bay. It's about 30 miles away from our house. And it's a place he really loves because it's on the bay. The water smells different. You know, there's a current. And I took him there. And as soon as we arrived, he was really excited. He, he got out of the car and, you know, quake lumps because he has a torn canine cruciate ligament that happened almost a year ago. But... You know, it's amazing how a dog, when he gets excited, and there's other dogs, and there's water, his favorite thing, how suddenly the limp seems to go away. And he went racing for the water. And he dove in. (laughs) The water was a little strong. You could tell how strong it was, because there were windsurfers that were going by in the water fairly close to where Quake dove in. Quake can't swim, actually. He only goes into the water up to where his jowls hit because the jowls 
on a St. Bernard are called flues. They're basically big holes in their face. And those holes let a lot of water in. And so uh, it's basically like swimming with your mouth open. So he doesn't even dog paddle. He just goes out to where if he were standing, the water would pour in those holes. And that's where he goes. And um, so the, the waves were coming in pretty hard. And uh, he never completely submerged. He, I saw the waves hit him really hard. I actually videoed it. And <laughs> he turned around at a certain point after the waves hit him in the head a few times and looked back at me and decided he should come back in. He wasn't out very far at all. And when he came back in, he got out of the water onto the rocks and he was limping more than usual and he kind of fell. And when he fell, I assumed it was because he a wave hit him as he got out of the water. And he climbed up the rocks, a little bit of a lump as he did it. And but it wasn't wasn't horrible. He was walking, you know. We walked around a little bit more. He said hi to a bunch of dogs. I got him back into the car. Um, he uses a set of steps to get into my car. Uh, they're collapsible, and I support his you know, stomach and I hold on to his leash and then I make sure that he can get up the steps. Okay. But over the past few days, he's been falling off the steps to get into the car and he's been falling down more and more like a lot. And the other night I said, let's go to bed. And as I went to bed and was you know, brushing my teeth and everything. I went to climb under the covers and he has a bed right next to my bed. He has beds all over the house. He has two in the living room. He doesn't have one in my office, but he just lays right next to me. And I noticed that as he came down the hall that night, that he banged into everything. I heard this huge crash where he knocked over the fan. And then he pinballed down the hall as he couldn't stand up and he kept banging into the walls. He knocked over a box that was in the hall. He banged into the bed and then he collapsed next to the bed. I checked him out and wasn't sure what was going on. So I decided to get an emergency vet appointment. And they were kind of assholes about it when I called, you know. I said, my dog can't seem to use his back legs. I need him to get looked at as soon as possible. And they said, well, last year he had that canine cruciate ligament injury and you didn't opt for surgery. What do you expect us to do now? And Well, I did that because I talked to all the dog walkers and all the dog owners I know. And they told me 80% of the time dogs just hurt themselves all over again. So why spend $10,000 on that? Just manage their pain as best you can and uh, keep them healthy as best you can. And so I did that. And I said, this is a brand new injury. Something different is going on. I need you to look at my dog. So I took him in and I paid extra for rush x-ray evaluation, etc. And I was teaching my workshop when the vet did call me and then they emailed me to explain it to me. And it was all in medical jargon and I didn't understand it. So I sent it to my best friend, Lil P, and I said, can you tell me what this email says? Because I'm overwhelmed. 
I wasn't really sleeping because Quake was crying all night, which meant I cried all night. And Lil P read it to me, and there wasn't a new injury on the other leg. The first leg looked like there was no new injury, but it did look like there was something going on with his spine. And if you don't know it, my dog is a 10-year-old, almost 10-year-old St. Bernard who weighs 166 pounds. And when that dog can't lift itself anymore, there's nothing you can do when you live by yourself and your partner has left you (laughs) and your dog. I've had such anger at my ex this week because of this, that part of things, more than I've had this entire time. So I've been trying to figure out what to do. Quake and I haven't slept and I'm pretty sleep deprived. And this podcast episode is going out late because, you know, when a story is unfolding, (laughs) you're like, what do I say now? What do I know now? Um, At this point, Quake is still alive. And I'm not sure how much longer that's going to be the truth. My number one goal is not to make him suffer. Right now he's suffering. But he is looking at me with these big eyes. Like, you can make this better, right? And I don't know that I can. So right now I'm spending a lot of time trying to line up experts to tell me how possible it is to make his life okay. I have to admit I'm hanging on to this fantasy. I was going to throw Quake the most epic birthday party in November. His 10th birthday party was going to be massive. You were all invited, just so you know. I'm kind of attached to that fantasy. So as soon as I finish recording this podcast, I am calling a dog neurologist. I'm going to ask them, you know, the first thing is what's going on with Quake's spine because they couldn't tell me that from the x-ray. We obviously need an MRI or a different kind of scan. And maybe it's acupuncture. Maybe it's hydrotherapy, which Quake will love because he loves water. Maybe he's going to get on a treadmill in salt water, warm salt water, and, you know, get the use of his back legs back. Maybe I'm going to call my friend Melissa and have her come over and do doggy massage later on today if she's available because that would feel good for him. Right now I've got him on a lot of pain meds trying to keep him from injuring himself anymore. But this morning he really had to go to the bathroom and he tried. He got ahead of me and I couldn't figure out how to put this dog harness on that came. It was one that you could help support their back legs and it arrived, but it arrived from Amazon in a plastic bag and it did not have any instructions on how to put it on. And I am not good with mechanical reasoning. And I kept trying to put it on top of him and put his arms through his front legs through and I could not get it on and while I was trying he decided he really had to go to the bathroom even though it was raining and he tried to go out the back door and as he did he wiped out on the kitchen floor and he fell hard and I tried to get on him again to help him out the back door because our place has steps which makes a dog wheelchair impossible and he fell hard And then he fell hard down the back steps because he really had to go. And he's a conscientious dog who doesn't want to go in the house. 
I don't know the answer. We still have a GoFundMe that exists from his canine cruciate ligament injury last year. My friend Hannah set it up and she set it up without me knowing it because I have a hard time asking for help. And she knows that. I was just texting with a student from one of my classes because I cried during office hours last night. And she said, maybe you should watch that TEDx from Amanda Palmer, The Art of Asking. (laughs) And maybe I should. I'm terrible at asking for help. I'm not bad at asking for help for other people though. So maybe I'm pretty good at asking for help for dogs. Maybe I'll get better at it. But right now I feel like I should stop. I should stop talking. It's not supposed to go on this long, the Dixie Ramble. I don't think I'm supposed to bum you out quite this much. But this part of the show is where I talk about what's going on and people tell me they want to know what's going on in my life. So I'm completely sleep deprived. I'm so worried about my boy. I just want him to be okay. He may be gone by next week. I don't know. And I think I'm going to have to make that decision. And that terrifies me. I wish somebody would help me make that decision. So until then, Quake and I love you. Thanks for listening. And thanks for caring. Let's get on with this episode, shall we? It's summertime. There's sun on your body. Perhaps you're at the beach or camping in the woods. And nature reminds us that simple pleasures are the best. So when you head out for adventure this summer... Don't forget the UberLube. UberLube is a luxurious, high-grade silicone lubricant made from clean, body-safe ingredients. It's free from nasty additives like parabens, preservatives, and petrochemicals. UberLube leaves you feeling moisturized and ready for what's next. It's great for all kinds of play, vaginal, oral, or anal, and thousands of doctors recommend UberLube for its simple ingredient list. UberLube offers long-lasting performance when you want it, then it quickly dissipates without leaving a sticky residue. It cleans up easily, there's no flavor or scent, and it's latex compatible, so it's safe and effective to use with condoms too. It's only natural to want to feel good about what goes inside your body, so give UberLube a try. And because you're a fan of this podcast, they're offering body storytelling listeners a special offer. 10% off and free shipping when you use my code D-I-X-I-E at uberlube.com. Lubrication is so important. And when it comes to lubrication, nothing beats Uberlube. Remember, 10% off and free shipping. Just use the code Dixie at uberlube.com. Uberlube, it lets you feel what you want to feel. I first met this storyteller when I was doing a collaboration with The Risk Show a few years ago in Brooklyn. And I loved his beautiful, poignant, weird stories so much. He was one of the storytellers in the show that I said, we've got to get you on the body stage sometime. Well, he lived on the exact opposite side of the country. But then lockdown happened and we started doing live stream shows. So we finally made it happen in 2021. Let me tell you about this storyteller. Dick Wound explores darker and more unusual kinks and fetishes on his podcast, Off the Cuffs, including fantasies of his own death, being dominated by robots, and seductive alien encounters. 
The podcast was established to document his journey into the kink community, but little time passed before Dick began receiving feedback from listeners and it quickly became evident that many needed guidance to begin their own journeys. The platform Dick has created brings together both newbies and longtime kinksters and enables them to share their stories and experiences with a worldwide audience. This has led to guest appearances on other podcasts, including Risk, This Is Actually Happening, The Dildorks, and dozens of others. Dick also operates and produces a second podcast, Being There, where the extraordinary aspects of everyday people's lives are explored in a freeform interview storytelling format. Dick's personal journey is an interesting one, and he is available to speak on the subjects of kink and BDSM with an open mind and a devious sense of humor. This storyteller is Dick Wound. Thank you. (laughs) I would never describe Gwen as an excitable person. Uh, Her looks often deceive her personality. Uh, Yeah, she wears eyeliner that kind of makes her look like Daryl Hannah from the movie Blade Runner. but underneath that, she's got more of a calm and collected, occasionally monotone charm that kind of plays off a little bit more like a Wes Anderson character, a very lovable Wes Anderson character, mind you. So when her eyes lit up during a conversation we were having last summer and she became visibly giddy, I knew that a piece of the puzzle of the conversation we were having fell into place for her. We were sitting in my garage in New York in the middle of August, and she had been visiting from Michigan. This was the last trip that she was visiting me before I was about to move to Michigan with her. Uh, We were talking about one of her biggest fetishes, which is food play. Now, a friend of mine, Kate Sloan, once described me as the man of a million kinks, which I don't know if that's true, but it's kind of hard to deny because I feel like I walk around and I look at the world the way that the that the Terminator sees things and they're like a little blippy thing comes up. But instead of describing the object I'm looking at, it just says rule 34 to everything because there's basically nothing I won't jerk off to. I have jerked off to the, the flag dance scene in the movie Grey Gardens. Uh, <laughs> most of the things that I find appealing and sexy, I feel like a lot of people would say are kind of disgusting. I'm not going to get too into it, but I do own a lot of toilet porn. Uh, But one of the few things that I never got into was food play. Uh, Gwen, on the other hand, that's her bread and butter, her main kink. Uh, It covers like a very large spectrum of her sexuality. And she'd explained it to me, uh, both visually what she finds appealing about it, but more so it was always about the sounds. Uh, the, the the tongue clucks and the, the lip smacks and just all of those great ASMR delights. Uh, but this conversation, the one in my garage, uh, she had relayed a new piece of information to me uh, that she had never gone into this aspect before. And when she lit up, the first thing she said was, I can't believe I forgot to tell you about Messy Wednesdays. So Owasso, Michigan is, in her words, a place that a lot of people have driven through or driven past, but not a lot of people stop there. Uh, She was raised in a really tight-knit, small Christian community, and she attended all of her church events growing up. She was a very good Christian girl. 
And uh, one of those events every month was Messy Wednesday. Uh, it's a lot weirder than it sounds, actually. Uh, we, we kind of have deduced that it's it was a ploy for the Christian kids to get their non-Christian friends to come to this like fun event, which was to trick those little sinners into wanting to go to church, in turn tricking their parents to becoming parishioners. But anyway, some of the events that they would do at these these events on Messy Wednesdays uh, uh, were were Sunday slip and slide, where they would cover the kids in ice cream and like whipped cream toppings, and then they would hurl themselves down like a plastic chute. And uh, they would also do messy twister, where they'd lay out a twister board, but they would cover the red spots in ketchup and the yellow spots in mustard and the green spots in relish and just so on and so forth. And and all these kids would be rolling around getting like disgusting in all of this food. And she said it was a blast, but the downside of it was that driving home, she would get nauseous from the smell of all these foods like mixing together and also it drying on her skin made her feel like weirdly like disgusting and humiliated but she also relayed to me as she got older and she started to realize that she was into uh food that that was the thing that she would kind of go back to that was the formative thing the disgust and feeling disgusting and nauseous after these events and that was where it pinged for me i was like oh wait disgust gross things i could jerk off to that sure so my doorway into food play actually was because of our relationship. We, we started off long distance. Uh, and for anyone that's been in a long distance relationship, you know, it's like really hard to not be around the person that you love. So you can't touch them. You can't smell them. You can't kiss them. And we, in fact, hadn't ever even met in person for real. So we'd never done any of that stuff. And some of the workarounds for that is that we would mail each other our dirty socks or our dirty sweaty shirts and we would open them on skype and smell each other's armpits and dirty feet and all sorts of things like that and eventually like uh it, it got to the point where where we were like oh we don't know what it's like to kiss each other so we wanted to we, we we decided on skype dates we would take sweet tarts the same color sweet tarts and we would eat them at the same time so that just because we couldn't kiss we could at least know what each other's mouths tasted like at the same time and that for me really opened up my first like interest in food play and for her it was really special for her because she hadn't really been able to engage in much food play with other partners of hers <clears throat> oh my god excuse me so when she came to New York for the first time and we met and we're about to kiss for the first time before we did, we had decided that we were going to try to blend our virtual relationship into a real one by putting a sweet tart. I took a blue sweet tart and I put it in my mouth and blue is her favorite flavor. Yes, blue is a flavor. Uh, and I put it in my mouth and I kissed it into her mouth and she kissed it back into my mouth. And we did this until the thing dissolved and it was amazing. Like that was the, that was really like the door opener for me. So with me being on board and her finally being like, oh, I can engage in this kind of play. We decided to escalate it because that's what you do. You want to fulfill your partner's fantasies. So we started with other candies and we would chew them up and spit them into each other's mouths. And then there were 
days where she'd end up tied to a chair and I'd be chewing vegan chicken nuggets into her ear and holding a vibrator on her, or she would pin me down to a bed and spit disgustingly over-chewed crab rangoons into my mouth and then whisper into my ear, don't you dare swallow that until you've come. And I'd have to jerk off really fast because I wouldn't want to hold this crab rangoon in my mouth anymore. And I know that I'm saying this all sounds disgusting, but it was wonderful. <laughs> so <laughs> come October this past year, and at this point, we've moved in together. I now live in Michigan, and we live in a house with both of our other partners, and we were sitting around the table carving pumpkins because it was getting towards Halloween, and that's what you do. And Halloween has always been really special to the both of us because we're, it's like our Christmas. A lot of people that we know are like, oh, yay, like smile, it's the holidays, and we're kind of like, fuck you, Christmas. That's, that's kind of more our attitude. Sorry for uh, Dixie, I know you have like a Santa Claus fetish. But the, our thing is more Halloween. <laughs> so I wanted to do something special around this time of year because it's a special day for us. And I felt like, oh, you've awakened this new fetish in me that I really wanted to thank her for. So I wanted to do something for her that she'd been thinking about for her whole life. And it was while we were carving these pumpkins that it came to me. I had reached in and scooped out some of the pumpkin guts and I saw her like shudder. And I was like, oh, you, you like that? And I squished it in my hand and dropped it into the bowl and the sounds already were getting her turned on. So I started building this scene idea in my head. And I took all of the pumpkin guts that we had cleaned out from all four of our pumpkins that we'd carved and I put them into a bowl and I put them in the refrigerator because I wanted them to, first of all, be cold and disgusting. And also, I didn't want them to dry out. They need to be sloppy, messy, squishy, of course. And the next day, I asked her to come down to the basement with me where I'd set up sort of like a Dexter-style kill room, but really it was for pumpkin guts, not human guts. And there was a massage table and I laid her down and I said, okay, now we're going to make pumpkin bread. So I poured these cold pumpkin guts over her body and I started like smooshing it into like every part of her. I rubbed it in her hair. I rubbed it between her toes and I was like rubbing it into her armpits and licking it off of her armpits and eating the pumpkin seeds and spitting them into her face like a weird pumpkin shooting machine gun. I don't know. <laughs> and she was getting more and more turned on as this as this was happening. And eventually I handed her a Hitachi and I said hey, it's time to mix the batter. So she put the Hitachi on herself and I continued to rub pumpkin guts just all everywhere that you wouldn't want pumpkin guts probably on your body. And she was getting more and more turned on. And I was looking at her and I was, I, I, I picked up a handful of pumpkin guts and I slapped her in the face with it and rubbed it in. And I, and I, and, and she turned like beet red and I was like, oh, do you feel like a disgusting little piggy? And she was like, oh, yes. And she pressed the Hitachi into her harder and she came so hard. She almost slipped off the table from the, like the pumpkin guts and the sweat. And like, just, it, it was, it was difficult to keep her from sliding off. Let me, let me just say that. But before, normally when we would do a scene like this, we would just kind of clean up and, and, and go to bed. But this time I wanted to make it extra special. So I had her, 
I, I scraped all of the like pumpkin guts off of her and back into the container, but I left some of it on her body so it would dry and harden and remind her of those like messy Wednesdays that were so formative for her. And I brought her upstairs to our kitchen and I said, all right, now I want you to bake me some pumpkin bread with these pumpkin guts that you basically just came in and there's sweat and all sorts of other bodily fluids mixed into them. And she was so cum drunk and just like wobbly and, and delighted by the scene that just happened. She couldn't find any of the right implements to mix up the bread. So she's using her hands and she's, she's mix she's, she's dunking it into the, into the batter. And like that is starting to turn her on more because now she's doing like wet and messy stuff while she's already like in this post orgasm bliss and she's mixing it all together. And she finally manages to get this bread into the oven. And I tell her, okay, now it's time to come and like clean you off. And by this point, like she smells like rotten pumpkin and it's all dried on her. And she just looks like completely blissed out. And I bring her down to the shower and I hose her off with very cold water because also I probably didn't mention this early, but I'm a sadist. And I was like, you're not getting nice, comfortable water. So I finish getting her cleaned up and I wrap a towel around her and I, and I bring her over to the bed and I go back and I grab some of the bread and I slice it for us. And we could smell like while I was cleaning her up, we could smell like the cinnamon and the nutmeg and all of these smells like wafting into like our bedroom and probably like some cummy smells too, but it's hard to discern when, you know, pumpkin bread is being baked, but I wrapped her up in the towel and I started wiping her, drying her off. And we got into bed and, and, and finally were about to snuggle and indulge in some of the kinky creation that we had just baked. And we had a conversation about like just our love and our fantasy fulfillment and how actually like we were eating like the most delicious pumpkin bread either of us had ever eaten in our entire lives.
Yeah, second time July. Take off. No water falls, she dripping with July in my eyes. Black. Said she want a meal, now I ask her what's the price. Hold on. If she do right, told her to get whatever you like. Oh shit. I grab her legs and I divide. I make her do a donut when she ride. I looking at the eyes of a dime, make you blind. Yeah. In her spine, not a muscle, diamond chest decline. Yeah. Sweet tooth, sweet, no tooth fairy, no whipped cream, Whip. no dairy. Whip. Got a hot light on, screaming I'm ready, hot. but no horses. Whip. That was Bon Appetit by Katy Perry and Migos. Body Storytelling's live shows are currently on hiatus, taking a summer break, trying to do some special projects, like get organized, really get my shit together. (laughs) That was the plan. Now I'm dealing with an invalid St. Bernard. Let's see what happens. It's okay. It'll all work out, but I wanted to tell you to save the date. Our next Body Storytelling live show and live stream is going to be our special Folsom Street Fair Kinktacular. It's going to be on Sunday, September 25th. And yes, that's right after the Folsom Street Fair. If you haven't got a plane ticket yet, this is a great time to get one. It is one of the most fantastic kink events in the world. People fly in from everywhere. And then, after you've been in the sun all day, sporting your leather, you can come over to the Verity Club, relax with a tasty cocktail and a seat for your leather-clad butt, and join us for kinky stories. Tickets are already up, and you'll find a link in the show notes. Well, that's all our time for this week. But before I go, I want to say thank you to the team who make this podcast possible. Thank you to David Grossoff, Mosa Maxwell-Smith, Joe Moore, Ruben Tan, Donald Mooney, and podcast producer Roman Den Houdeker. I'm sexual folklorist Dixie Delatour. This has been episode 236 of the Body Storytelling Podcast. Thanks for listening. A big, a big love.